Now, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And you know, here in West Church, we've been going through the book of John. But this morning, I want us to look at Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to verse 11. And, uh, you know, this is actually the first passage I spoke on publicly uh, all those years ago when I was, um, you know, kind of first learning how to preach. This was the first one I spoke on. And I didn't do justice. And I'm telling you now, I won't do it justice this morning because God's word is inexhaustible. But we're going to come to this passage this morning, consider what this has to say. And uh, the reason why I'm speaking on this is next weekend I'll be away at a, at a young adults camp and I'll be speaking um, about the idea of forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation. And uh, I want to really consider that in terms of God and us and then from us to one another, that the idea of forgiveness. And this is one of the passages that speaks so clearly about God's treatment of humanity, how he um, thinks of us, how he acts towards us. And I'm just going to say this from a personal point of view. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the scriptures. It is an amazing passage. And this morning I want to make three observations, but we'll read the passage now, shall we? We'll read it and see what, what God's word has to say. Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray and ask for his blessing. Oh Lord, we are so grateful to you for this time and this place. We're so grateful to you, Lord, for your holy word. And as we come to this passage now, this morning, Lord, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit mightily into every single heart here this morning, helping us to understand what it is you are saying here, and not just to understand in our minds, but to have our hearts receive this truth and be transformed by these truths. Would you, Lord, personally speak to every single person here through your word this morning? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to make three observations this morning from this passage. Three very simple observations, but three observations, three truths that I think is so important to understand that I would plead with you this morning for your total attention to these three things. Because they concern our relationship to God as human beings. How we are to think and approach God, our Creator, our Lord, the source of all life, joy, peace, and happiness. And the first thing that we must note as we read this passage is that four times the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says we were weak, ungodly, sinners, and enemies of God. And the first point I want to observe from this is that every human being is in need of God's forgiveness and salvation. That's what we find here in this passage. We read here that while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 
If while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We read that while we were his enemies, Christ reconciled us to God. And it speaks of an amazing thing. But before we get there, we have to recognize that the Bible's description of the human race as a whole and each human being as an individual is that we are in need of God's forgiveness. We are in need of God's help and salvation and rescue. We see here that we are described as weak, not strong and able to do the things that God requires of us. We read here that we are ungodly, not godly in our character. We don't act and think like God. In our hearts there is all kinds of strife and hatred and murder and lust and envy. We read that we are not righteous before God, but we are sinners before Him. We're guilty. We're condemned under His laws. We read that we are not naturally friends and family of God, but we are His enemies. That's how the Bible describes every human being naturally as a result of our hearts that have rejected him and walked away from him. And I wonder this morning if you've ever been brought to a conviction of that truth. You know, I'm not mentioning the the fact that you might have grown up in a Christian home or know much about the Bible and understand that the Bible teaches us that yes, everyone is sinful. I'm not asking about that intellectual, trivial knowledge, but Have you a heart impression of this fact before God? Because, you know, if you have really felt this truth, it will color the way that you approach God, the entirety of how you approach God, it will color that approach. No one who knows this truth in their heart will ever approach God flippantly. And they will never approach God with pride or arrogance. You know, I know a lot of my friends... And this is perhaps in their youth. But I know somebody who was so upset and angry with God that though he prayed for years, God did not yet give him a girlfriend. And the way he spoke about God was a way that I wouldn't speak about any human person in such bitterness and resentment and anger. He was upset that God did not give him what he wanted and prayed for. If this is true of us, could we go and demand anything of God? Not in our wildest dreams. And you know, we know there are those who would say that unless God prove himself in such and such a way, I will not worship him. If the Bible describes him in this way, then I do not want anything to do with him. As though God were in need of their forgiveness instead of the other way around. Really the question when we come to this passage, have you really felt the truth of these things? That before God, naturally, we are weak and ungodly, we are sinful and condemned, we are his enemies. That puts us in a position that is so terrifying to think about. It is no wonder that no human being wants to deal with the reality. It's a no wonder that when we are told by the doctor that we have cancer, we want to deny that truth and that news. It's the first stage of denial, isn't it? The first stage of grief. To deny the reality that sits before us because it's too terrifying to think. And yet we would say to anybody who hears a diagnosis from the doctor, you've got to listen to the doctor. They know what they're talking about. Unless you agree with their diagnosis, you won't go to treatment and save your life and cure your illness. How much more so must we listen to the truth of God's word? The omniscient, the all-knowing doctor of our souls 
He is speaking to us of our disease, of our illness, of our need for a cure. And I pray that every one of us this morning would come to a conviction of this truth. Do you know that if I could provocatively state this and skirting really on the edge of orthodoxy as it were, you know, I could say it this way. If this morning you are not weak or ungodly, if you are not a sinner this morning and if you are not an enemy of God, there is no Savior for you. There is no possibility of forgiveness for you because by your own admission, if you claim not to be these things, you don't need it. You are not in need of God's help. And so there will be no Savior for you. Christ will do nothing for you. Can we imagine the idea that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in all His glory would come willingly to this earth and die on the cross if we did not need to have His death be done? If we did not need His salvation, would Jesus shed His blood in vain? We must perish that thought. We cannot let that thought stand. God would never suffer the death of His own Son unless it were absolutely necessary for us to receive salvation, for us to be cured of our guilt before Him. That's why Jesus is recorded as saying in three of the four gospel accounts, He did not come to call the righteous to repentance, but He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to call the sinners to repentance. If this morning you have not the conviction in your heart that this describes you, you will not come to Jesus and receive all the benefits that is in Him. Because you won't think that you need it. And unless those around us, by the grace of God, are brought to that conviction, they will not look on Christ, they will not seek Him as they should. Many in our day see Christ as a cosmic vending machine, not as a Savior and not as a Lord. Because they come to Him not because they think that they need Him, but somehow they think that He needs them. The reality is far different because we read in this passage that we are the ones who are weak and ungodly. We are the ones who are sinful and we are the ones who are in need of God's forgiveness. That's the first thing that we note here this morning. That we need God's help. And then we note further on, as Paul describes that while we were such and such, something happened. God chose to act. He did something. And we read that Christ died for us. We read that Christ shed His blood for the undeserving. We read that God in Jesus Christ reconciled and repaired the broken relationship with those who were His enemies. Wow! Can we dare to imagine that God would die for the undeserving wicked? Maybe for a righteous person one would dare to die. But for the one who is totally undeserving, totally unworthy, can there be found anybody in this world who would die for those like that? And yet God, it says, demonstrates His love. He puts it on full display, His love towards humanity. In that before we were deserving, Christ died for us. To offer us the way of salvation. To give to us the way to be with God again. We read that here this passage, don't we? 
that God gives us that salvation before we deserved it. And so we know that God's love comes to us freely, unconditionally. It is not dependent on anything within you. Do you have to be strong before you are able to receive the love of God? Not according to Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to 11. While we were still weak, Christ died for us. Must you become a godly person and change your terrible habits before you can receive the love of God? No. While we were ungodly, Christ died for us. Must you become righteous and earn the merits before God before you are able to have a relationship with Him? No, Paul says, Christ died for the sinners. Must you become a friend of God? Must you now lay down your arms first before you can receive God's love? No. While we were His enemies, Christ reconciled us to Himself. If you have come to a knowledge of your undeserved unworthiness before God, this is the best news that anybody can ever say to you. That God does not require anything of you before you come to Him. That He puts no hurdle before you. That He does not put anything in front of you that you must first do. In fact, we can say that you have to do nothing but believe and receive all the wonderful love of God in Jesus Christ. The full forgiveness of your sins. The reconciliation of you to God. The adoption into His family. He will grant you all of these things. All of these things to the undeserving one who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Who looks at Christ as He is put forth in the holy words of God. And takes God at His word. And believes on Him. And relies entirely upon Him. This is the best news that anyone can receive. And it is so wonderful to us. Because if we're honest. If we are weak and ungodly and all of those things. We don't have the power to change ourselves. We don't have the power to fix ourselves up. To be acceptable before God. A broken jar does not put itself back together. It needs the creator of the jar to come and gather the pieces and to glue it back together so that it becomes a usable jar once more. Humanity is broken and only God our creator can fix us. And in his wonderful love, he looks at every single one of you in the eyes and he opens his hands and he says, come to me as you are and I will fix you. I will save you. I will wipe away your sins. I will do all that is necessary. What encouragements for every one of us to go to Him. What wonderful invitations for us to approach Him with a heart full of confidence and faith that though we are unworthy, He will accept us. He will not turn us away. If anyone should believe in Jesus, they will not be put to shame. That is the promise of the Bible. But note this, all throughout this passage, there is no description of this wonderful salvation apart from Jesus Christ. It is through His death, it is through His blood, it is through His life that we are saved from the death and destruction that every one of us deserves as undeserving sinners. It is only through Him, crucified and risen, that we can have this promise of being loved by God, of being received by God. 
You will not find this in any other name. You will not find this in any other way. The Lord Jesus himself says that he is the truth, the way, and the life. We cannot come to God apart from Jesus Christ. That is the message that the Bible seeks to tell us. And I pray this morning that you have put your trust entirely upon Jesus Christ. Don't put it on your church attendance. Don't put it on your Bible knowledge. Don't put it on your devotional readings. Don't put it on your acts of charity. Don't put even 1% of your hope and confidence before God on anything apart from Jesus Christ crucified and risen for you. Nothing else will do. Paul doesn't give us any other indication, but he points to Jesus Christ alone. He alone is our hope. And we come to the third point that I want to observe before you this morning. That the end, the end goal of this thing that God gives to us, the salvation. You know, what are we to do as Christian people? Is it merely to say, oh, thank you, Lord, so much for forgiving me. And now that, you know, everything is, is free for me to do. There's nothing else after this. What we read in this passage, you look there in verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know, the reason why God gives us His forgiveness and invites us to repent and turn away from our sins and turn towards Him is so that we might have a proper and fixed relationship with Him. We're not saved to church attendance. We're not saved to be self-righteous and to say that we're better than everyone else in this world. We're not saved to anything except to God and to knowing Him and to enjoying Him and to be in relationship with Him. We receive reconciliation. We receive the joy that is in God of being with Him. You know, believer this morning, if you have come to taste that the Lord is good, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Surely you know the joy that you've experienced of coming to know God and having a relationship with Him. Of calling Him your Father. Of Christ being your Lord and Savior and brother. Of Him being the closer friend, closer than a brother. Surely you know the joy that this is. That we can rejoice in God in Jesus Christ. That is the final goal, as it were, of why God shows His love for us, to draw us into a relationship with Him. You know, it can be said that many people, when they think about heaven and everlasting life, they have all sorts of ideas about playing golf for all eternity. And they might say, that sounds very boring. Well, I agree, it sounds terribly boring. You know, for somebody who doesn't love golf, that might sound more like hell than heaven. You know, what are we to think about heaven? The Scriptures teach us that we have the kingdom of God in some ways here now. Jesus says that everlasting life now is to know God and the one whom he has sent. Everlasting life is to have full and unbroken relationship with God. Have you tasted heaven now on this earth? Do you have that relationship with God now, right here, Right now and this morning, have you tasted of that heaven? You can't have it now because etern eternal life 
Heaven itself is simply being with God, rejoicing in Him, delighting to know Him. One of the greatest things that I can think of for my life is just to be with my wife and hang out with her. Is that your heart's attitude towards the Lord your God? Because we see that every heart who has been reconciled to God, that is their attitude, isn't it? And I'm not saying that this will always be the case because we know in this life so many things take us away from that joy in God. So many trials and sufferings stop us. So many doubts internally stop us. So many sins prevent us from having that relationship with God. But every true Christian has tasted of this in one degree or another, even though it might seem so small that they can barely remember it. This is the thing that we ought to aim for as Christian people. This is the one thing that we live our Christian lives in, in shape around, in direction of. What are we doing for our Christian life? Many people think that the entirety of the Christian life is doing acts of service to God. That is actually secondary. Their Christian life is merely attending church. Their Christian life is merely reading about the Bible and finding out facts about God. The Christian life consists entirely of this, in knowing God and rejoicing in Him. That's our aim. That's our direction in life. From knowing Him and being in His love and loving Him flows every single other thing in the Christian life. Pick a topic. Well, we want to come to church as part of the Christian life if we are in a, in a relationship with God. Absolutely. We love Him. We are loved by Him. Why will I not want to be with His people and my family? Will I want to share the good news with those around me? Absolutely. When I am so delighted with His goodness towards me, I want everyone around me to know Him and His love. Will I stay away from the sins in my life that keep me from this relationship? You bet it will motivate me to stay away from these sins because they cut me off from enjoying fellowship with my Lord and God who was willing to die and shed His blood so that I might be saved. This defines the Christian life and it is the end, the goal, the purpose for which God has sent His Son to die on the cross for us. This morning, if you do not yet enjoy that relationship, the one place alone that you must go to is to Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. The one place as a weak person, as an ungodly man or woman, you must go to is Jesus crucified to save you. As a sinner who is undeserving of nothing but God's punishment, is to Jesus Christ and His blood, which pays for your sins. The one place as a natural enemy of God is to go to Jesus Christ. Because in Him you will have reconciliation and a repaired relationship with God. Go to Him this morning. Go to Him this morning, right now. See what encouragements the Bible gives to us to approach Him. Are you unworthy? Go to Him. Are you not deserving? You go to Him. Are you unable? You go to Him and you ask Him, Lord, show me Your glory. Lord, help me. Lord, save me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Hear the words of God. Anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will not be put to shame. 
This is the glorious message of the gospel that we have as a church. This is why we exist here this morning, so that all of us together might come to know this truth more and to be able to share this truth with those around us in our lives. I pray that God would help you to know this truth deep down in your heart. I pray that he would. Now let's pray together and ask him to do this. Would you pray with me now? Father, we thank you so much for this passage. We thank you, Lord, that you do not try and speak fluffy things to us to make us comfortable, but you tell us the truth, that naturally we are in need of your help and salvation. And we thank you, Lord, so much that in your love you have provided it entirely in Jesus Christ. For the one who believes in him, there is full salvation, the forgiveness of all of their sins, and a perfect reconciliation with you. Lord, lead every single one of us here this morning to faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may come to rejoice in you through him. We may come to really know you and have this relationship with you. There is nothing greater that can happen to a human soul than to know you and to be loved by you. Would you do this work in our hearts, Lord? And help us now as we finish this morning's service and sing to you with songs of praise. Help us to sing from the bottom of our hearts as those who know your love and mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray and ask all of this now in his name. Amen.